Thanks for listening to Mosaic, a Jesus-centered communities podcast. Our goal is to help people experience a Jesus-centered life. You can find out more about us at welcometomosaic.info. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast as well as rate and review it so others can hear it as well. Enjoy the message. I welcome those who are worshiping with us online. Um, there's a lot of people traveling the last weekend of summer. Kids are going back to school and all moms and dads said... Yeah! Come on, you missed your, your cue on that. We're excited for the kids to go back this week because we love them and we want them to learn and other reasons. But we're excited that they're heading back to school this week. So thanks for being a part of this and those who are traveling. We're so grateful you're with us. I have uh, had this date circled on the calendar for quite some time because I was so excited about who you're going to have an opportunity, we're going to have an opportunity to be uh, taught by this weekend. I got to know Matt Hurd and his wife Arlene. Uh, Leslie and I got to know them uh, down in Orlando, the church that we previously served at. Uh, Matt came in and became a teaching pastor that just came in with regularity to teach at our church. And immediately from one of the very first times I had the opportunity to hear Matt teach, I was annoyed because this guy can teach way better than I can. He is one of the most gifted speakers. I'm saying that somewhat facetiously, not the teaching gift. He is one of the greatest teachers that I think I've had an opportunity to hear. The creativity, the words, the intentionality. One of our core values here at Mosaic, if you've been around, you know that the Bible is our roadmap. We just center everything on the teaching and the truth of Scripture. And as you listen to Matt today, you're going to hear that as well. He has a high value for the teaching that the scripture brings and the life that it can bring. And so I'm so encouraged for you to, to, to hear his voice today. Um, Matt is an author. He's, he was a pastor for 30 plus years in the Springs. Uh, some of you may know Woodland, Woodland Valley Chapel. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Yeah. So some of you may know amazing church down there. That he pastored many years, uh, church in Chicago, helped pastor church in Orlando, just a lot of leadership consultant, great husband, great dad, great friend, 2022 with all of its crazy one of the gifts of 2022 for me has been reacquainting and just we've had some great conversations where I've been encouraged in a ministry standpoint, you know, the kingdom work that we get to be a part of together, but also in a personal standpoint as a dad, as a husband, as a sojourner. He's been such an encouragement this year. Would you help me, Mosaic, welcome uh, our friend now and uh, the teacher this morning that's going to bring it to us, Matt Hurd. Awesome. There you go. I need to say the one thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, Good morning. Thank you so much. Uh, what in the world? What kind of introduction is that? Let's close in prayer because there's no way I can live up to any of that. Uh, it is, I've had it circled on my calendar as well just because getting, knowing Jeff and Leslie a little bit, uh, knowing their love for you, knowing their vision for what Jesus is up to in this place. And we've had the opportunity to just have some heart-to-hearts over the, the last year or two, just about uh, your journey uh, and this whole, I don't know if you guys are aware, there was a pandemic and uh, some people were impacted by that. And God has sustained you as a community in some powerful ways. And it's due to, yes, Jeff, but the whole team, leadership team. I'm looking forward to connecting with those of you who are leaders. You know who you are. We're going to be connecting tonight and tomorrow some. Just to encourage you to breathe into you. And I'm looking forward to it. And I've never been asked to give a two-hour sermon on a Sunday. But I, and I still haven't been, so just relax. But I, I, I'm, 
I'm privileged to be able to be in the spot to, 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 I didn't know this until it kind of freaked me out, bring it home. This is the last, of, right, this is the last weekend of this series, Faith at Home, and I'm really looking forward to it. So uh, let's take a few, few moments. I just so appreciated the way that Jeff shepherded all of us, and, and let's continue to go to that shepherd that he was calling out to, because Jesus not only shepherds us, he's, he's the real teacher. And uh, let's take some time and acknowledge that we need to hear from him. Yes? Yes? Let's pray. Jesus, you're the word. You're the logos. You're the living word. John, who lived with you and did life with you, watched you. One of the ways that your spirit led him to describe you after you had died and risen again and you headed to, to the Father, John said, when he saw you, he saw the Word of God living. So when we submit before the word this morning. We're not submitting before some religious handbook. We're submitting before the Logos, the living, breathing word of God that you embodied, Jesus. So in the midst of all of those ebbs and flows that Jeff mentioned a minute ago, there's some people that are on, under the pile. There are others that are riding high on top. Uh, we're zigging, we're zagging, but you've assembled us together to not just check the box and say we've been to church, but you've assembled us together not to all be the same in our journeys, we're not, but to have our journeys fit together like a puzzle, which is why I just love the name mosaic. A mosaic of your grace. So I ask that you would speak to me and to my new friends here. Speak life. Speak grace. Speak truth. And I pray this in the name of the one who is way and truth, but also life. Amen. Amen. Faith at home. I just love that title. And uh, you guys have been in this for a couple of months, I think. And I've been able to hear a few of the messages and just have appreciated the, the team. That you, you guys know you're pretty blessed to have the, the godly teachers that are here, that are interacting with you. Keep telling them that. Keep affirming them. Because uh, never before has it been more critical, even in this nation, in the fragmentation and the polarization, to have clear clarion voices regarding truth and, and grace. So this whole notion of faith at home uh, is so vital for a, a, a thriving community. Even if you're, you've got empty nest or even if you've never been married, that whole notion of faith at home is, is part of the bedrock of who a mosaic is. And it's pretty important because that multi-generational engagement with the gospel holds us accountable. Kids see through stuff, big time. And so this notion of being, of having a vibrant, the, the reformers refer to it as the fides viva, the living faith, having it at home uh, is so, so important. This woman told me a couple of years ago, she was driving along 
running some errands and had their seven-year-old son in the, in the car. And so, and parents, you know how the kids could come out with, uh, I mean, just out of the blue. She's driving along back in a neighborhood and all of a sudden he says, Mom, what's the biggest number you've ever counted to? She's thinking, well, well buddy, I, I, I don't know. She drove about another half block, and then the question came to her, which was, what's the biggest number you've ever counted to? And he didn't hesitate. He said, 2,374. <laughs> she said, but that's, that's awesome. She keeps driving about another half block. Then the next question occurs to her, which is, why did you stop at 2,374? He didn't hesitate again. He said, church was over. And so often in religious communities, what we're asking of the kids is to simply endure when what they're wanting to do is breathe in what gives us life. But if we don't have that life, they're not going to get it either. A number of years ago, Jeff mentioned I wrote a book. It was called Life with a Capital L. Right after I, I left Woodman Valley, it was a, a real desire for me to unpack something for my sons. Arlene and I have three sons. She'll tell you she has four boys, uh, which is true, but three of them are sons. And they, I, I'll just kind of give you some some photos of them. The first one, the youngest, is Stephen. Uh, Stephen lives in Missoula, Montana. I just graduated from Whitworth University. Uh, it majored in, in theology and business and is a computer a software uh, consultant up there in Missoula. Here's a photo of him holding the book that I wrote for them. So when I wrote the book, it wasn't just at the, at the end, okay, who do I dedicate this to? From the first keystroke, they knew this was for them. It was also for you because of a deep, deep burden I have that I'm going to be unpacking a little bit with you. But uh, we're big outdoors people, Colorado people, grew up in Colorado, uh, the boys did. So he's got this out in Yosemite, took a photo of it. So when he's given this number, it's not loser, uh, it's life with a capital L. And so his uh, brothers saw that, and Joel, the middle son, climbed Mount Albert, a lot of you are 14ers people, and he took the, uh, the book up with him and then held it up. So I guess you've got uh, a 14,448 feet or something where the, the, the book is. Because this whole notion of life with a capital L, it's not happy clappy, it's not just adventurous, but it is an aspect of the gospel is all of life. And we have an oldest son who went to the Air Force Academy, his name's Andrew, and he uh, made the request to be stationed up in Fairbanks, Alaska. He was so excited that they gave him that uh, post. You know, you give, five you give them your five top choices when you graduate, and according to your rank, he picked Fairbanks. He said, Dad, they said, yes. I said, buddy, that's awesome. You know how I can encourage him, but I don't know anybody else requested Fairbanks, Alaska, but uh, that's okay. But the reason he wanted to be in Fairbanks, Alaska is uh, he wanted to climb Denali. And so he shocked me by sending me a photo. They count the ounces. It's like a two-week expedition. You trained for a year. He did a year before. And they've got a sled they're pulling. Well, he shocked me by sending me this photo of him having the book, the actual book. He could have had it on his phone or something, but 
I, I was honored, and he said, yeah, they got in some pretty cool discussions in the midst of blizzards with a couple of other officers, Air Force officers who were not believers and some other guys on the expedition. And he said, yeah, I just wanted to honor you. And I know he did, but I also know he's a big brother. And so he thought, you know, Joel, the middle son, 14,440 feet. Good job, Joel. Let me up that by a mile and hold my book up a mile higher in Denali. But the reason that I, I, oh, and here, so from a family standpoint, we're empty nesters, but here's the, here's the gang as they stand right now. Just so you'll know that as I'm talking about family, I don't have a pretend family at home. They are real. Arlene's right here, but these are our two daughters-in-law. And we are about to be grandparents on September, September 22nd, it's a due date, for the first time. So if you got any suggestions, thank you. Um, and we are up, we're open to names. Uh, they're, they're trying to figure out names for their, their son. They had a gender reveal. It's going to be a little boy. But uh, that's not my concern. My concern is my name. I don't know what I'm wanting to be called. Arlene's got hers picked out because of some, some friends of ours in Florida have a, had a mother named Happy. And I, that was on her birth certificate. She said, can I use that name as, as my grandmother name? And they said, oh, that we'd be honored. So... That just sets me up for being grumpy, I guess. Grumpy <laughs> and grumpy, and I don't want to go with that. So if you've got a name, uh, let me know afterwards. We uh, did bring some copies of the book, Life with a Capital L. It's out at a book table somewhere. I'm not really sure where out there, but we might hang around out there and would love to meet you. But the reason that I wrote it is because of the deep concern that I've got within the church is that we've embraced a partial gospel. And if you're going to talk about faith at home, it's understanding what is the gospel. So if I were to put a microphone in your face right now, which I'm not going to, so don't panic. But if you're a parent and I were to say, what is the gospel? Summarize the gospel. What would you say? And if you would stumble around, realize your kids know that you're, you're stumbling around. They see that. They call us out. They... You talk about stimulating us to love and good deeds, that happens. But this notion of understanding what is the goal of the gospel? If you're going to have a vibrant faith at home, it's understand what is the goal of the gospel. So if I were to ask you, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, are you, are you, what's the goal of the gospel? What is it? What are the things that come to mind? Is it uh, forgiveness of sins? Yes. Is it getting to heaven? Yes. Is that all it is? No. But that's the limit to what a lot of people within church can describe the gospel. Well, we want to be forgiven our sins when we get to heaven. There is so much more. I am more in love with Jesus than I ever have been. I am more excited about the gospel than I ever have been because of its multi-layered, wide-birth approach to understanding. It is way more than giving us something to do on a Sunday morning, providing for us a moral code, and enabling us to have a community of like-minded people. It is so much more. It's cosmic. Here's what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10. You, if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, you've probably heard this verse a lot. Read it again. Engage with it again. And don't just skim over it. Jesus conveyed his mission. He couldn't have been more clear. He says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, destroy. It's a direct reference to the garden. To what the enemy did. The enemy says, remember what God said? Don't disobey me because you shall surely, what? Die. Would the enemy come along and say, you shall not surely die. Do what you want. You can be fulfilled as a human being on your own. You don't need God. 
Did they dive when they rebelled? Some of you said, I'm not touching. That's a trick preacher question. Did they die when they rebelled and disobeyed? Yes and no. Hearts continue to breathe. Hearts continue to beat. Lungs continue to breathe. But as Paul says, they were dead. At that point, from that point on, they were dead in their trespasses and sins. So Jesus says in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. But let me tell you why I've come. I have come to give you guys something to do on Sundays. <laughs> I've come to start a religion. I've come to start a holiday. No. He says, I've come to restore that which has been lost. Human beings, beautiful, really capable of love and tenderness and beauty, but also of great evil. He says, I've come that you might have life. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Again, not happy clappy and everything's fine. He's making a statement of cosmic restoration. And if you're a follower of Jesus, he had an agenda when you trusted him. If you're a follower of Jesus, he had a dead. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, he's got an agenda. And it's not to make you religious. It's to bring you back to life. Now that word life that you see in John 10.10, 10, I've come that you might have life. There are three Greek words predominantly in the New Testament that are all translated in English, life. Uh, there's bios. What English word comes to mind when you hear that? Biology. Bios is that physicality. It's the heart beating, it's the lung breathing. There's suke, which is, what, what English word do you, kind of comes to mind? Come on, belt it out. Psychology. Sometimes. It's that, that awareness, that consciousness. Okay, so, uh, but then there's a third word. Zoe. Anybody here have the name Zoe? I love that name. It's the life of God. So every human being who's born is born with bios and suke. We're conscious, we're, we're, we're image bearers still, but we're born without Zoe. Zoe left human beings in the rebellion because we said we can be fully alive. Without you, God, we don't need you. And as a result, we die. We're still capable of great things, but also capable of great evil. So Christ's agenda when he came was to breathe that Zoe back into us. So in John chapter 1 verse 4. By the way, John, about 71 times in his Gospels, in his three epistles, and in Revelation, uses an English word, life. Uh, that's about 71 times. Only about 15 of those are referring to heart beating, lung breathing. The rest are referring to Zoe, the life of God. So in John chapter 1, verse 4, John's an old man at this point. He's the only disciple, as far as we know, who wasn't martyred for his faith. All his buddies have been killed, crucified upside down. He was persecuted, but he survived to be an old man. And he's under the inspirations here. Think about it. He's got this commission of God, and he's writing late at night. Three of his buddies have already written Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So he's going to write one that's going to be a little different. And the Holy Spirit comes upon him, but not in using him as an automaton. Using his humanity, his experience, who he's been. 
He walked with Jesus. He, he camped out with him. They went hiking together. They laughed at jokes together. They cried together. He watched him do miracles. Three years. They changed the world. Not only John's life. So how do you summarize? And he starts. In the beginning was the word. That logos. And the word was, was with God. And the word was God. But then he comes to a summary statement. Verse 4, John chapter 1. In him was morality, theology, ideology. In him was Zoe. That's the summary. In him was life. And that Zoe was the light of all of us who were stumbling around in this valley of the shadow of darkness and death. Jesus, the most unique part about him was that he was fully alive. He was the first human being to be fully alive since Adam and Eve before the fall. Just chew on that for a second. Now, Totally identical? No, he's fully God, and they weren't fully God. But he came, they died. He came not to just give us a new moral code and to teach us a new religion. He came to embody. So in the rebellion, when we rebelled, God elected to not destroy everything and start over. He said, I'm going to glorify myself by bringing the cosmos back to life. Don't ask me about the timetable. I don't understand why it takes this amount of time. It took this amount of time. It took this amount of time. But I will tell you this, God knows and there's an intentionality in this tapestry that he's been weaving, this story that he's been writing and it culminated when a fully alive human being visited this church, uh, visited visited this world that was dead. In him was Zoe. Where did, he, where did John get that? Because he had hung around Jesus and Jesus taught. So people were drawn to him for his miracles, sure, but they were drawn. Who hung around Jesus? It wasn't the religious crowd. It was men and women that were authentic enough about their brokenness and authentic enough about the journey. And they said, we want that life. So when Jesus says, the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, I've come to reverse that. I've come that you might have life, that you might have Zoe, that you might have Zoe, that you might have Zoe, that you might have Zoe. The life of God. So John, at the end of his gospel, He's finishing it up. He says, I could have written a lot more in John chapter 20 and verse 30. He says, there are a lot more things I could have included, but I've been led to include these things. And then he explains why. In verse 31 of John chapter 20, he says, these things have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And, 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 you getting the point here? There's a second part to it. And that by believing, you may have Zoe in his name. 
So take a look at that verse. Let's parse it up, part one and part two. These things have been written that you may believe that Jesus is Messiah. Now let's look at it. Part one, part A, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. I'm going to call that orthodoxy. Fancy word. You can use a number of words. I'm going to say that's right belief. That's when, if you grew up in church, you came to Christ when you were a kid, you just came to Christ last week, you, you, you brought on, you believed in Jesus as Messiah. But then he says, and, I don't know if I mentioned this, he says, and, did I say he said, and? That by believing you may have life in his name. So if we were, if, as I've prayed for you guys, and early this morning woke up, prayed for you as parents, but prayed for you as a community, as a family of faith. I got two things I'm praying for you as families. One, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, Son of God. So if you have not come to Christ yet, and keep, keep kicking the tires. It's a safe place to do it. But once you have, it's not, great, got that decision done. I'll do this religious subculture thing and uh, have stuff to do and then wait for heaven. No, it's in the meantime on a daily basis. I believed and I left the realm of death into the realm of life. Now, on a daily basis, I'm actively believing to experience life in his name. Part A. Part B, which is necessary, which is the gospel? Trick preacher questioned, yes, they're both. It's not just part A, it's part A and part B. Families, figure out part B as well as part A. What does it look like so often? What, what's the goal for the spiritual life of my family? I want them to trust Jesus Messiah and be good kids and not get in too much. No, yes, all that, great. But how about believing for life in his name? To experience Zoe as an architect, as a musician. As an engineer. To experience Zoe at funerals and parties. To experience Zoe at Broncos games. You think I'm kidding? I'm every, I'm actually, sidebar here, I've already gotten on four or five, so I'll just add another one to it. I, I believe that a follower of Christ can experience and enjoy a Broncos game more than somebody who's not. And the reason is, I'm not relying on whether the Broncos win or lose for my ultimate fulfillment. I can enjoy it for what it is. So, Fully alive families are families that focus on orthodoxy and vibrancy. And right now in this culture and the contentiousness, one thing I'm noticing is that there are a lot of people that are turning up the volume of orthodoxy, but they're not modeling vibrancy. And this generation, I spend a lot of time with college students, they get it. Uh, just this past week, I was trying to figure out how many days ago, I guess it's six days ago. I speak a lot at Summit Ministries down in, in uh, Colorado Springs. Two-week trainings to prepare kids for university. And I talk about just what I've shared with you. Every time, every time, out of these 200 kids in each session, I'll get somebody come up in, in tears. They've all, tons come up, want to process. But they'll say, I grew up in a part A family, but not part B. 
You know, Ben, last week, he talked about how parents often feel paralyzed when it comes to discipling their kids and what to do. And if you feel that, you're in the right place. And guess what? We all are there as parents. We're still parents. We're empty nesters, but we're still parents when we deal with that. To be in a community like this, you're in the right place where you've got folks that are wanting to help people experience a Jesus-centered life. Are you kidding me? The opportunity to be involved in a church like that? Last, some of you got a video this week. You saw um, a great moment of vulnerability and, and, and humility on my part. I showed you my yard. Here's another photo as if my, my humiliation was not sufficient enough. So here's a photo of our yard. Um, the, I, one of my spiritual gifts is clarifying the obvious. So let me just go ahead and exercise it right now. On the left is good, on the right is bad. <laughs> We've asked some people, and they said, yeah, it's a winter kill thing. What do you do? But when I look at that, man, that's, those are spiritual communities. That's, those can be churches. Those can be families. How do we get less of the stuff on the right and more of the stuff on the left? And some of you remember I held up a tripod. And I said, the answer for family for church lies in this tripod. Let me explain to you what I mean. And I'm hoping this image sticks with you as families, but as individual followers of Christ as well, but as a community of Christ followers. John chapter 14, 6. It's a verse that I'm hoping you're, you're making mental notes of some of these, but it's a, one of the most famous verses, one of the most famous things that Jesus said. John chapter 14, Verse 6, he said, I'm the way, and I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Apologetics, people. Apologetics is not apologizing for the gospel. It's simply giving a defense for the gospel know that verse because it's a fly in the face of the hijacked pluralism of the culture where pluralism says all true pluralism says that all views are tolerated uh, the hijacked pluralism uh, began to move into the direction of all views are equally valid which is a, a swan dive into uh, insanity but we've even moved further in our culture I don't know if you noticed or not but this pluralism now that's been hijacked further says all views are, are welcome and equally valid except biblical Christianity. And one of the reasons is because biblical Christianity, not because we've invented something, it's because of what Jesus says. He's, look at this, the second part of John 14, 6 again. Let's bring it back up on the screen. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That flies in the face of people. How can you say it's the only way? It's a powerful thing to focus on. But guess what? That's not my purpose this morning. I want to look at the first statement he says. And we overlook the first half of that statement because of the power of the second. What does he say? I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. 
Now on this tripod, which of these legs is not necessary? None. Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth. Oh, good, we're good. No. And I'm the life. It's all of the above. For a family, for a church, to be fully alive, it's engaging fully with the gospel, not partitioned up. Fully alive families. What do they do when they embrace that? It's not a partial engagement. What happens when I do just one of these? A lot of people do. Let's bring up a part. What is a partial engagement? Would Jesus look like? With churches, you, a lot of times you see morality. Is morality part of the Christian message? Yeah, of course. Sermon on the Mount, the most brilliant moral treatise in history. But it's not all of the gospel. The theology is important, but is that it? No. But do you see what's being engaged there? The, my will and my mind. Often, families will make the mistake of saying, okay, we want our... In fact, a lot of times they'll start with the morality. We don't really care about the truth or getting into the word. Just behave. But that behavior comes out of something else. It comes out of a vibrancy. Look, bring up the next slide, the full engagement with Jesus. It doesn't take away from those first two tripods of the, of the, the way and the truth. It just adds life to it. So it's not just morality and theology, but it's vibrancy. So as parents, if you've got a checklist in mind, yeah, let's make sure that we're doing all three not just one. Let me look at them very quickly, just one at a time. Go ahead and take the whole screen and look at it. What does it look like that looks like embracing his truth? Following his way. And experiencing his life. So let me tell you, as a family, as you're looking and evaluating how we're doing, uh, which of those is not necessary? They're all necessary. And you're all in this together. Let's figure it out together. What does it mean to embrace his truth? And to do so in a way that's uncompromising, devouring the word of God. Let's take a look at that. John 5, 39. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees. And he did so by saying this, John 5, 39, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. Really, he's rebuking them for their diligent study of scripture? No, not their diligence, but for their aim. They were studying the Bible for religiosity, not for life. He says, the problem is, these are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So embracing is truth. If I don't have way and life along with it, uh, my family can become a little bit, a little seminary classroom where everybody just talks about the right things and mouths the right words, but then 
when the kids leave the home, they go out and they do their own thing. By the way, 66 to 72% of kids who grew up in churches are leaving the church by the time that they're 30. And the reason is because of those tears that I will see every time that I engage with college students on this message saying, I grew up in a, a part A church, not a part B church. Or what they'll say more often, now that you know the tripod, they'll say, I grew up in a way in truth church, but not a life church. We really, we, we talked about the importance of the word, but I didn't see anybody demonstrating it. And they're looking at the adults and saying, you know what, if you want us to embrace your orthodoxy, we need to see you model vibrancy. If you want us to embrace this way in truth that you say is so important, Where's the life that it breeds? You're tracking? Yes or no? Because if you say no, then I got to start over. And uh, the people that come for the next service are going to wonder why you're still in here. And, uh, so embracing his truth, that's one. But it's also following his way. The gospel is not just a bunch of propositions. It is proposition, but it's also a plot. There's a way of Jesus. I've already given you a little bit of how, for me, it's impacted. What is the way of Jesus? He's, he was making a cosmic statement about bringing the cosmos back to life. Let's figure out what this way is that's life experiencing, that the experiences the life of God and gives life to the people around us. But yet again, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees, the religious crowd, it rebuked them for their truth that didn't have any life-laced intentions. But he also, he rebuked them in Matthew chapter 23 for going through the motions of way, of activity, of actions. Listen to what he says. Woe to you teachers of the law. Matthew 23 verse 27. You, and, and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. I don't know, but I got a hunch nobody has that verse on their refrigerator. It's blistering. Is obedience a bad thing? Of course not. We're called to obey. Matthew chapter 19, verse 17 Jesus talks about this whole notion of, hey, you want to understand what it looks like to obey and to engage with the, with the truth of the gospel? Why do you ask me about what's good? Jesus replied, there's no only one who's good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. How about that framing the obedience? Remember Ben last week talking about, it's very, and I, I, he says it can anger kids when expectations of behavior are made without conversation. I think the actual statement, he says, when we give them commands without conversation. Just do this. Behave this way. How about, let's frame it. Let's figure it out together. You know what? I think that Jesus, Jesus wants to obey and follow his path so that we might live Zoe and experience the life of God. There's the third one. It's not just embracing his truth and following his way, but it's experiencing his life. Huh. I love your, your mission. And I'll be telling some of your leaders a little bit later today and tomorrow even more about why I like your mission. But this whole notion, we want to help people experience a Jesus-centered life. Experience. It's a matter of not just hearing about it, 
Not just understanding the truth and the way, but what does it look like? Let's figure out this whole notion of experiencing his life together. He says, I've come, I've come. What is that about? Go back to John chapter 20, verse 31, one more time. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, orthodoxy, orthodoxy status, part B, vibrancy, and that by believing you may have life in his name. First is status. Believe that Jesus is Messiah. I'm not, do not, don't raise your hand because if you're processing the gospel, I don't want you to feel like you're pinpointed right now. But if I were to say, hey, who's, who's believed in Jesus Messiah? The people who have trusted Christ would raise their hands. And then you go through, okay, you've got a different status. The moment you trusted Christ, you move from the realm of death to the realm of life. That's just the beginning. We now move into what does it look like on a daily basis to experience life in his name? Yes, it's having a quiet time. Yes, it's going to church. Yes, it's sharing the gospel. And it's all of those had the discipleship checklists, but go further, explore it further, ask as a family, ask as a community, what does it look like for us to experience the life of the gospel together, and what does it look like for us to engage our culture in a life-giving way? I'm going to put up a slide, and you can uh, take a shot of it. You can get, find out at the book table as well. It would, you can just have these. But one, this, these are 12 characteristics. And some of you are thinking, wow, I thought he was about finished. I am. I'm just going to put these up. I call it, they start with A's and B's and C's. Look at these right here. Fully alive in Christ. What does it look like? And you can go to the, the, the website, you can go to that place, and you'll start get, you can get emails. I'd like your social security number and your three favorite credit cards as well. But just, just kidding, you don't have to do anything but your email address. Just free but process. Maybe do that as a family in unpacking every one of these. They start with the 12 letters of the alphabet. And this comes out of, and it's, my book doesn't follow this exactly, but it came out of that. What does it look like? To be fully alive in Christ. It looks like engaging every day with a sense of awe and mystery and living all of life worship and not medicating my brokenness but growing through my brokenness. You see? Creativity. If you're an image bearer, you're a maker. So go make something today in a word or a deed or an action. Depth. Live with a sense of depth. Be rooted in scripture. Engagement. Engaging my culture salt and light with justice, compassion and love. Fellowship. Getting, engaging in authentic community. Generosity. It's one of your values. Giving away what God has given us. Heart. Engaging my heart because it's the core of who I am. Intimacy, having intimacy with the Father is the only time Jesus ever defined eternal life. He says, this is eternal life that they may know you. J is journey, knowing every day we're going along this path, realizing today we're a little bit closer to Jesus bringing this cosmos fully back to life. That's what the new heavens and the new earth will be. K, kindness, novel idea. He's dealt with you in his love and kindness, so give that kindness away. And longings, pay attention to your longings. Your longings are the imprint from your imageness. Longings for significance and security and intimacy and love and impact. They're dressed in the gospel. Let's figure this out together. Years ago, I spoke at 
uh, a conference about this, and afterwards I met with several of the uh, folks at, just around lunch. I didn't know who they were. But one of them said he was a Christian school administrator. And I thought, okay. So we started talking about this part A and part B. Then it turns out that five, four of the others at the table were there are two principals, one vice principal, a Bible teacher, and a dean. We talked about part A, part B. I said, let's just take a flyer. How many of your faculty would you be confident in? Now you could translate this. How many of you parents would you be confident in spending 30 minutes with a junior in high school talking about this is what it means, part A, to believe in Jesus as Messiah? As a Christian school, what do you think they said? They all would. They wouldn't have a job in a Christian school if they couldn't do that. I said, how about part B? How many of your faculty would you be confident in spending 30 minutes with a junior in high school saying, this is what life in his name looks like. Let's figure it out. I said, mm. I said, that's part of the crisis in the church. So parents, you don't have to have the answer. Just ask the right question. And start with saying, what would it look like for us as a family to be fully alive because of the gospel? And admit, I don't know all the answers, but let's walk with them together. And let's figure out what it means to embrace his truth together, to follow his way together, but also to experience his zoe together. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I know there's a lot ricocheting around right now, and... I ask that you would enable every person here to humble themselves before you and your word. And I want to do the same. This is an un a time unlike any ever in our nation's history. And it's a beautiful time for the gospel to rise up for gospel-centered communities to rise up. We've got kids that are being buffeted by a culture that's lost its way in dramatic and tragic fashion. And kids that are looking to us, not just to scream orthodoxy at them, but to model vibrancy for them. So I pray for the families of Mosaic. May they taste your life together as well as your truth and your way. I pray for the individuals here. May they know they can walk with you and walk with you in a powerful way when they walk together with others who are embracing your truth and following your way and experiencing your life. I pray for Littleton, I pray for Denver, I pray for Colorado, I pray for the world to experience the life of the gospel through the life of a group of people called Mosaic. Not perfect, but figuring vibrancy out on a daily basis and realizing Mosaic is not just here for itself. Mosaic is here.
for the life of the world. Truly, the life of the world. I pray this in the name of the one who is way and truth, but also life. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We invite you to connect with us. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do so at welcometomosaic.com slash give. Have a great week.